I'm in studio with Beatriz Paz, uh, who is a Mexican researcher and publisher, um, who is also the co-founder of Indigena, a nonprofit organization whose main campaign aims to expand the recognition of Waxarica culture through exhibitions of art and design, lectures, workshops, festivals, and culinary activities, and who collaborates directly with a Waxarica community in the state of Hilasco that is facing life-threatening problems of drought and occupation of their territories. So there's a lot of um, issues to look at here. Um, Beatrice also works in the field of communication studies um, and uh, collaborates as a translator um, between different news platforms uh, throughout Mexico, the U.S., um, specifically around anarchist movements. Uh, her website is voicesinmovement.org. Beatriz is here uh, in studio. Good day. Good day. Thank you for having oh, me. Oh, thanks for coming. Um, so there's a lot of info here in your bio, um, but maybe first, um, as a starting point, could you talk a bit about your work to, um, to highlight, to promote, to defend uh, indigenous culture today in Mexico. What is some of the work you're doing and why is this urgent at this moment? Mexico has uh, 57 recognized uh, languages. This, each one of these uh, will have some variations. So you can imagine, uh, like uh, with variations, I would mean dialects. So you can imagine how uh, wide is the indigenous population there because with a uh, Spanish conquered heritage, and they were just, um, the society was divided between uh, the rural communities who would like to keep their costumes and their way of living, their lifestyles and worldview. And there will be this modern project in the cities that um, uh, through the last century, like 20th century, was uh, concentrating more and more the population from rural, are rural areas into the big city. And uh, the thing with the problem with that is that people who used to be in the land defending uh, the land now they are struggling with the everyday survivor in a big city, and all these uh, communities usually whenever they choose to leave uh, a site of this modern project of a nation that has been branded through propaganda and uh, who has that has been promoting Mexico as a um, exquisite and exotic land full for uh, everyone's uh, adventures. Um, they can't really defend themselves in front of uh, the super extractionism that it's been, uh, that it's taken mm -hmm. place in this uh, stage of neoliberalism. Of, of so many communities mm -hmm. uh, would live under uh, an, an average income of um, a dollar per day mm -hmm. so they will be facing um, diseases and uh, lack of a, a, a proper health care they still have uh, some natural um, healing systems sure. to follow mm -hmm. uh, but they sometimes all the harvest, they will have to sell it for a very low price, mm -hmm. so sometimes they don't have mm -hmm. enough for their own uh, feeding. And accordingly to the way or the history that they develop in miscegenation, they will be closer to a regular citizen or they will be very far. So this rural community was um, 
one of the most hermetic through the centuries and in the decades, even uh, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, any journalist could get killed in their territories mm -hmm. just for being there or with a camera. It happened to people from uh, a, a newspaper in, uh, of San Antonio uh, who was trying to cover the news of these indigenous people and he, mm -hmm. they just found him dead uh, with all, her, all his belongings. They were very radical with their territories mm -hmm. and they will keep very um, ancestral practices mm -hmm. to organize themselves and to organize uh, the growing of the land. Mm -hmm. But uh, with the mining companies that uh, make this paradise here in Canada, maybe they are not from Canadians even, um, but um, Canada, it's a country uh, that gives um, fast, uh, permission or make uh, make things easier for investment in the mining um, uh, branch of economy. So this, uh, they portray themselves as Canadians, but probably the investment is not even Canadian. So they are um, threatening, and they have been for maybe a decade, a sacred territory of this community. So in the last decade, we've been uh, witnessing something that is very historical of this community, because most of indigenous communities in Mexico, they will get open, or they will have been open for long, uh, to the coexistence and the dialogue with regular citizens, but they wouldn't. So now that they have this threat on them and the draft, and uh, in some areas it could be no draft, but deforestation and people taking their lands, and in other in others will be um, they are getting their children kidnapped because in the black market, uh, children are one of the most valuable. Um, I, I don't want to say objects, but <laughs> it's like a stock. <laughs> so this, um, this, this community that you mentioned mm -hmm. um, is fighting particularly um, the expropriation of their indigenous territory by a Canadian company. Um, so I'm just wondering if you could talk a bit about this specific example, but tie it to this larger systemic problem that mm -hmm. you were talking about at the mm -hmm. beginning in regards to the displacement of indigenous people, but mm -hmm. also their... Uh, cultural framework and their relationship to the land, the process of urbanization um, and how that's tied to colonialism today mm -hmm. in, in the Mexico mm -hmm. uh, framework. In, in Mexico, the first settlers would be the people in the government. It's such a corrupted system that has bureaucratized all the procedures in order to have uh, more control on, on the lands and also on the exploitation of the, of the labor of people. Uh, and these corrupted politicians, as long as they will have their time in power, they will try to sell like if it will be uh, a stock exchange market, <laughs> they will try to sell whatever they can to private interest, national or uh, foreigner ones. Mm -hmm. So this hyperextractionism is taking uh, part in mostly the south of the country, mostly because it's the greenest one. But that doesn't mean that the north is not facing these threats because of the all the mining uh, projects. None, none, none all of them are Canadians. Um, but there's this uh, uh, Real Majestic company, for example. Um, What's the, the name again? First Majestic okay. Company. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> They've been suing and trying to buy judges for years 
because federal judges in Mexico. Yes, this is the Canadian company. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, one of the three who is interested in this territory. Um, it's been proved that the profit they would have because they want to make open mining in the in open there. pit mining. Yeah, and. Um, it's been proved that the profit, uh, this land is profitable only for five years, but with five years they will destroy a complete environment mm-hmm. because it's a semi-desertic area, so um, the water that uh, runs underneath, um, it's uh, connecting with like places very far away that, in, in that are in the sure. same situation, but uh, it will be all contaminated and um, this culture will get destroyed. So to make a <laughs> general perspective, uh, the corrupted politician will sell um, the land and then there will be this company like uh, Nestlé being the owner of Mexican water or Coca-Cola. Yeah. Like the warm water already started in Mexico and it started with the market. Like big corporations uh, taking big, big resources because Mexico is one of the richest countries in the world uh, considering uh, its biodiversity. We're not to talking for the diversity of cultures it has or the deep story or history. or So um, the people will be displaced for all these projects. It has happened with water in Oaxaca and in Guerrero. Uh, it has happened with the forests in Michoacán and, um, and, and, and some land f- lands for growing food in Veracruz and in Quintana Roo and some uh, very specific areas with a particular um, ecosystem that are just um, ver- very specific from some land. So what they will do is that they will buy the land uh, kill them all or uh, displace them somewhere else and uh, just uh, take, uh, take the profit. So this profit mainly will go out of Mexico. Mm-hmm. But because of these companies are paying to the political in charge, to the political so persons in charge. So bribery and political payments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, and I guess there's a big effort to try to prove this, you know, in, in the newspapers. And uh, no, because the newspapers are very officialist. So they say what the government wants to be said. Uh, and maybe from 10 publications, you will have one or two moderated uh, leftists or leftish <laughs> uh, just to prove that uh, the plurality of voices and the democracy of how m- uh, the government wants to brand Mexico, but actually the, um, the censorship and the surveillance and the retaliation are just a uh, part of the same problem as the war on drugs and the cartels and all the mafia. Mm-hmm. So journalists that have tried to look at these issues also have faced repression, killing. Um, uh, Mexico is the third most dangerous country for journalists. Like mm-hmm. in India, it's the only one who is uh, uh, so-called democratic. The first one will be Syria and the second one, I don't remember if it's Afghanistan or Iraq and the third is Mexico. Mm-hmm. So in, in the last administration uh, or two last administrations, they've killed uh, over 70 journalists and all of them are like all the ones who got killed are the ones who are criticizing the government because these kind of decisions that could be regarding on the lands but also regarding on the mafia and the nexus like the links with uh, the mafia because the mafia is nothing else but the 
paramilitarization of the state. So it's the illegal arm of the same government. So y you've you've highlighted this issue, and there is that very clear connection between mafia organizations, paramilitary groups, of course. the the drug trade. Um, and the state. Uh, people yes. have talked about narco state. Uh, journalists like Annabel Hernandez um, was uh, forced to leave Mexico, uh, many others, of course. Um, and then you've talked about the realities of displacement as continued colonization, mm -hmm. as impacting indigenous mm -hmm. communities, mm -hmm. and the involvement of international mining companies in this process, and particularly Canadian companies. Um, this is obviously a contemporary moment in Mexico, but it's connected to history, uh, the history of colonization. Um, there is ongoing struggles uh, taking place for the land, but also for a different direction in society uh, in Mexico in terms of struggles for free expression, for democratic space. I'm wondering if you could maybe just give us a bit of a picture as to uh, why you focused on supporting particularly indigenous voices and indigenous communities um, in this larger picture of of the struggles taking place in Mexico and maybe highlight a couple of the specifics of the work that you're doing. I, I would say that it's because I am a result of the miscegenation, so I come uh, as, um, as a mix of both the dominant and the oppressed culture. Uh, I have in my background uh, indigenous uh, ancestry that were interrupted by the settlers who would be uh, in charge of the decisions of my family in that moment in time, uh, last century. I'm talking about my grand-grandfather, so my grandmother never got allowed to learn the autochthonous language because she would get beaten. And as many of, um, of people there, uh, we grew up learning that it was uh, shameful to come from the, from the grassroots, uh, that it, uh, it's wrong to be brown, that you should never you you need to whitewash yourself. No one is talking about uh, brown wash yourself. Like the society can, it's good to be in indigenous, but you should try to be white. Um, it's uh, Mexico is the most racist country I've ever been, um, and uh, I mean I've been in Germany. <laughs> so to feel that my own country is way more racist, it makes me. Uh, think about all the prejudices we have. So, uh, for me, it's very important to make a critique of my own, hi my personal history of mm -hmm. conquerness, and to adjust my reality by uh, from that common basis. So, why I choose to work with these people particularly, it was it came out of luck. It came out of luck. Um, they met uh, um, my friend in the desert in a pilgrimage, and they asked him for help. So he came to me and he asked me for help and then we were gathering with uh, some other two friends and some people would come, some people would go, but um, we started it because uh, we met them as uh, persons mm -hmm. and uh, whenever you interact with uh, one indigenous community, mm -hmm. you will perceive like it can be subtle, it can be very radical, but you will perceive how they acknowledge the land and the and the community like the community values mm -hmm. and uh how important it is for them to 
to take care. So why uh, in this particular moment it's important to work with them for many reasons. For Mexicans to remember who they are, where they come from, we are a mix, uh, a mixed race. So we need to acknowledge that part of that mix is indigenous. And we are rejecting ourselves and by rejecting ourselves, we are denying us a future because then therefore we can't work together. And with this particular community, I feel so honored and so proud to be able to share with them because this is historically new. Like this community wouldn't go out for centuries and now they are doing it because they need it. So we are getting to see something in a culture that happened to other indigenous groups long ago or was part of a integration process that is never completely accomplished because being indigenous there means that you are forced to poverty. Why? Because they are the defenders of the land. So you don't want them there. And it has been the project of last century and it worked very successfully. Uh, and now this community is fighting a mining project today. Well, in 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 the case of uh, Wijarica people, that is a, a nation, yeah. Uh, and just because this was considered sacred terito- territory for UNESCO, and this is nothing uh, too much common in the world. Like UNESCO doesn't give too much of these recognitions. Sure. I don't say like. They, they, it's okay that way. Of course, all land is sacred, but this culture, they have uh, some. They are a mix between the hunters, the um, harvesters, Mm -hmm. like the farmer uh, part of humanity when they start growing the land, and the recollectors and. Everything that uh, blends this together or unifies this is their practice of eating peyote or hikuri. For them, hikuri is a cactus and at the same time is uh, corn and at the same time is a deer, like the animal. Uh, And they will ritualize everything they do every year and they have a very organized society uh, that um, uh, it's hierarchical in a way but in ranks like if it would be military rank but more like the warrior tribal society Um, so they are a good example of resistance but at the same time um, they they are like children in a new society because they are facing like having a mobile drinking coke drinking coke watching tv so some of them Right now, it's very sad to see, but uh, some of them, they don't want to be with Radhika anymore. They want to be Tevari. You are Tevari. I am Tevari. Everybody who never were uh, born as with Radhika is a Tevari. So they want to be Tevaris. And the thing of that is that they will forget their, their culture. Some of them, they don't want to speak their language. But at the same time, they are very in the, in the, in the back line, in the retaguard of uh, the movement of the society. So they don't know how to read. They don't know how to move like in this kind of uh, a political or uh, urban society, either of those two and this is just one risk because most of indigenous communities right now in Mexico are also facing the paramilitarization of the country in a very large scale so whenever you say narco gobierno well it's just that um, the cartels are paramilitar why because they're not only trafficking drugs they are trafficking weapons, they are trafficking mm-hmm. people, they are trafficking organs, and uh, 
it's it's a uh, it's a monster growing and growing and growing and uh, who is uh, supported by all the political class so we have many parties we don't have like one or two and we don't have actually a left wing that is represented there is uh, for example in Colombia the parliament will have a representation of indigenous groups in Mexico there's nothing like that there's no an indigenous who is a politician not a senator deputy governor so um, so today in Mexico there's a, a lot of very urgent um, struggles taking place in relation to the land, ongoing colonization, um, also the displacement of indigenous communities through the process of urbanization. Um, and um, yeah, of course this reality is mirrored in other parts of the Americas including, of course, these lands called Quebec or Canada, uh, in terms of the fight for indigenous language and culture uh, in the face of colonial systems. Um, and um, so y you've highlighted a bunch of issues uh, at this moment. Um, I guess the last question I'll ask you is, um, well, first, thank you for sharing this. And You're welcome. Um, how's it going for you? And maybe if you could just highlight maybe a bit of where some of the issues and stories that you've shared exists online if people want to have more information. But how has it been sustaining your involvement in this? And you talked about why it was important to you, but how how's it going for you? And, and do you want to uh, share anything else with people who might be listening as to why this is important for you? Mm -hmm. um, most of times people will be very interested because they will find exotic everything that will have to come with the indigenous uh, communities um, but it's just that in Mexico there's a good uh, Indian for say it in the despective way um, and there's uh, the good Indian. So the good Indian is the one who died in the splendor of the past and the big cities of Mayan and uh, Mexican or Aztecs or Toltecan cultures. But the bad indigen the indigenous is the one who doesn't know how to read, who speak their own native language, who is um, uh, uh, begging for money in the streets of a city. And we don't want to see that, you know, because uh, no, it's not making us to look nice to the world. So how is it going for me? Uh, I've been in different moments being more active or completely gone from this struggle because sometimes it drains me. Uh, it's not a lack of uh, commitment, it's just that everything is uphill all the time and uh, since 2012 till now maybe there's something we've been missing or doing wrong or not considering but uh, we've been giving uh, talks and workshops and auctioning art and being here and there and making events and still we've been unable to fund a permacultural device for these 45 people that we are co-working with um, because there's a lot of money that we need to put in so we are non-profit but uh, uh, sometimes people would say an artist would say hey yes yes I give you a painting and then a year after you will need to be uh, chasing this this person. Um, so 
I guess that uh, there are a few things that we need to face as Mexicans and as also part of the of the region of concrete people of North America because we are integrated uh, not only by territory but by the traits that are determining our lives as countries together. And um, I see here in Canada uh, that um, like on a more uh, common a basis people will be caring about these things but they're usually mostly organized movements because the organized movement in Mexico is criminalized so there's a lot of surveillance from the state and there's um, some persecution and some activists and people so it's always a struggle of being working amongst the general apathy of the society and the fear of something happening on you so that kind of uh, affects the, the work that we sure. are doing I would invite people to look in the internet uh, for the um, uh, National Indigenous Committee that it's an um, organization to, to bring together all the different indigenous communities from the country and they try to take decisions together and be self-represented. So that's something you can find accessible in the internet. And, um, I would say that uh, the first thing to fight colonialism is to acknowledge uh, which part of you has been colonized and then start in a struggle that will relink you, reconnect you with that uh, robbery. Beatrice Pass, uh, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you.